On our previous episode, we learned about purchasing leads. But once you've purchased the leads, what do you need to know to maximize their potential? We'll find out on part two of this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement that helps small and mid-market companies escape the fully insured marketplace and delivers stability, control, and savings without watering down employees' benefits or increasing their premium share. If you have clients in the educational institution or the engineering vertical, go to our website at CaptivatedHealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. Last week on the Shift Shapers podcast, we spoke to Richard Bufkin, and Richard did a great job of helping all of us learn about buying leads and what we should buy, what we shouldn't buy, of how to manage them on the pre-prospecting, pre-sales side of the lead equation. Today, we're going to extend the conversation, and we're going to talk a little bit about how to use those and what you should expect and what tools and techniques you can use. And we're privileged to be speaking with a man who is so good at this. He's known as the lead guru, but to folks who don't know him by that name, he's Don Runge, president of DMR Marketing. Don, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, David. So let's level set. Everybody who sells needs leads. So what's the issue? Well, I think the problem is everybody thinks a lead is a sale. And a lead is not a sale. It's the furthest thing from a sale. It's really giving you an excuse to start a conversation with the stranger. And that's really important to keep in mind. Because until you meet and sit down, either party is a stranger to the other, whether it's referred lead or not. So that's the real key to it is understanding leads are really excuses for that agent or that advisor to make a call or knock on the door or go see them and start a conversation. But before they even get there, the problem a lot of advisors, agents, call them what you will, have is that they love leads. They just don't like prospecting. And are lists still a good way, even in 2017, to go about initiating that prospecting process? By all means. I spend my time working a lot with just telephone workshops. And we find out today, even though there's fewer people that are not on a do not call list, the majority of people are on a do not call list. But of the smaller percentage that's still available, the contact rates and ratios are just as good as they've been 25 years ago when you could call everybody. So it's more of a mindset challenge than it is a reality. And people keep talking. I always have a saying, if you hear something three times, it becomes a law in the insurance business. So if I tell you, you can't reach anybody three times and you hear that three times and you say that to yourself, you've now brainwashed yourself. Nobody's going to answer the phone. So if if it's a mindset challenge, how do you get past that? When you talk to advisors and salespeople, what do you teach them? How How do they convince themselves that it's just kind of dialing for dollars, law of numbers, you know, call it what you will? You know, it's a law of numbers, but I think uh, where I try to get the mindset to shift from, a lot of people have more what I call an employee mindset versus an entrepreneurial concept. I'm an entrepreneur. Agents and advisors should be entrepreneurs because, you know, you really are running your own business. So what has to happen is kind of like 
I believe you have to shift your mindset to act like you're almost in politics. And I don't mean that literally, but I just, you have to, you have to solicit votes of strangers in a very short period of time that would like to vote for you to come see them or to meet with you. So the mindset has, you have to be very proactive. Leads are reactive. You have to activate the leads. So you have to be the conduit. You have to be the catalyst to make that lead become alive in your mind and the person that you're going to contact. So how do you, if I'm a salesperson, I've got some leads. How do I activate them? What be, what are the behaviors that I need to engage in to activate those leads? I think, first of all, you really have to say to yourself, look, contacting people should be fun. Prospecting should be fun. We look at prospecting as a negative. I look at meeting people as how I get paid. I get paid to talk to people. I get paid to get in front of people. I get paid to sit down with people. So my whole job, and I use the relationship, I love pizza. I'm from Chicago. And Chicago has great pizza, in my opinion. When I go there, I eat it three times a day because I like it. Now, if this is something I've embarked on and I really do like people, then the attitude is, why would you want to see fewer people if this is what you love to do? It's kind of like it always confused me that you have the wrong attitude toward things. You know, prospects aren't people that should come to you. It's like fishing. The fish don't jump out of the lake in most cases. You got to go find the fish. So in looking at our business, the mindset I always had that I found very effective, and I work with agents all the time and advisors, is that you got to be a proactive person, and your job in a 24 hours a day or whatever hours you're going to work is trying to find new people to talk to all the time and engage in conversations. Whether you happen to be at a restaurant, you happen to be at a social gathering, or you happen to actually have a lead in front of you or a list. So you need to embrace the fact that, thank heaven, I've got a lot of people to talk to because the world's full of people. Can you coach somebody past the old-fashioned phrase? We used to call it call reluctance. Oh, yeah. I love that. The call reluctance always used to get me. You know, it's kind of like uh, batting. I used to play baseball. It's like hitting reluctance. Like, I'm up there, but I'm not going to swing the bat. You see little kids do that. The only way you get over that challenge, in my opinion, being an ex-coach, is you have to put people through enough practice and become perfect practice to where you love going to practice because it works. So you have to teach me how to ride the bike without the training wheels. And the only way you develop that is not with a positive mental attitude. It's with a confident mental attitude. I talk about CMA, not PMA. Confidence means I've done this so long that I'm on automatic pilot. I don't even know that I'm working when I do it because I'm not working. Because my job is to help people. And if I like to help people, how could you be working? It's like a surgeon that doesn't like people. I don't want to find one of those. Uh, I certainly don't want one operating on me. That's for sure. So if I've got a bunch of leads, what what's a good number of responses? And does it make sense for me to focus as a producer? Does it make sense for me to focus on the number of responses? Is that where my, my attention ought to be? Well, two things. The response rates are so low today, and it has dropped over years and years and years. Well, I think there's two good points to that. The people that do respond are really serious about it, in my mind. My, it's psychological. The lead is not for the agent. The lead is actually for the customer. Agents like to think or advisors that those leads are designed for them. I always said, if you happen to like the lead that you just bought, it's probably a bad lead <laughs> because the idea is it's for the customer. We're trying to get the customer's attention. We're trying to serve 10 and 15 people of a 1,000 people within that one moment when they're going to fill out a card or send it back or respond through the web or respond through the internet. We just caught them at that vulnerable five seconds and they happen to sign off on it and we're done. Now, they may forget about it in the next 15 minutes. So my deal is if I'm going to mail a thousand people or 500 people, I'm going to want to have a strategy already developed before I buy those leads. That's the first step. I have to have a prospecting strategy before I spend a dime on leads, meaning I'm going to know who I'm going to call, 
who I'm going to see, what I'm going to say, and where I'm going to, what I'm going to do when I get there. I got to have those questions answered before I spend a dime buying a list or think I'm going to get these lead cards. So it isn't, and what happens is we just say, I'm not, I don't have anybody to see, so I'm going to go spend $500 and buy some people that don't know me and hope somebody sends a card back because they'll probably want to buy. <laughs> and so when you had that perception, which is a false, it's a myth. The myth of the matter is people get bombarded with mail all the time. You probably, in a lot of cases, will call someone you think they're going to remember the card. They don't remember the card, and I would assume they don't. So everything's got to function as though I have to recreate. I have to be like a, a ventriloquist. I have to do both parts of this when I'm communicating because the people on the other end most of the time won't help me out unless they're my client or there's somebody I've dealt with for a long period of time. When you're talking to strangers, you got to do a lot of creative kind of things and you have to get their attention very quickly. So you got to have a strategy before you spend a dime on exactly what you're going to say to these people, when you're going to contact them, how you're going to contact them, and you have to have it built out ahead of time. It's a plan. Have a plan to develop those leads. And now a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single source solution for your clients and prospects in the education and engineering verticals. The founders of Captivated Health have 35 years' experience working with healthcare and benefit clients, and over that time, they've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems mid-market clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing healthcare costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, these groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace. Until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems and does so with virtually no disruption to employees while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to your education and engineering clients that you advise. To learn more about Captivated Health's solution, go to our website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on our logo on the Shift Shapers website. So when you actually get on the phone, help me, give us your ventriloquist act. What do you teach people? What, what do I need to say? Can I just have any old conversation? Do I need certain power phrases? What works? Well, I'm a big believer in processes and being prepared. Proper prior preparation prevents poor performance. I just love that. And, and, and you know, when you get in, you have to have yourself an approach or they call, uh, they problem approaches today. I don't like you saying scripts. You know, Spielberg has a script. Sylvester Sloan made six movies by saying, hey, Adrian, he did it the best, I guess, of anybody else. And then he couldn't talk anymore. So he went to Rambo. And the part is that director wants to know that you're going to be able to act out these words in such a way it creates an image and a mindset on the person on the other end of that phone or at the door or in an office. So really, in writing these out, the first thing you got to do is always introduce yourself, real basic stuff. I'm so-and-so. I'm a licensed professional with XYZ insurance company, agency, or whatever. The second thing is important because that's where you have to get them very quickly in five to seven seconds. You have to tell them why you're calling, and it's got to make some sense. Got to make some sense. You might be calling about the healthcare crisis. You might be calling about the retirement crisis. You might be calling about the Medicare and U-book and see if you got it. You might be calling about the fact that you don't want Uncle Sam to tax you unjustly. You want to have whole dollars accumulate, not partial dollars. Then you got to tell them, not only tell them why I'm calling, but what's in it for them to listen. Now you got to know after 10, 15 seconds, why am I not going to hang up? Why, why would I hang up this telephone? 
Why wouldn't I just, you know, slam the door in your face? I've got to be quick on my feet, meaning I've really practiced perfectly before I get on to attempt to talk to anybody. You know, everybody knows how to use a phone, meaning they can pick it up and talk to someone, even if they had a dial phone in the old days and the crank phone. The problem is it's not like you're having a conversation with your parents or your friends. This has to be more of a plan strategy in your conversation. Every word is carefully chosen, the pausing, the diction, the words, the impression, the excitement. There's 12 different things I grade somebody on how to build their phone technique or front door technique. And it's 12. We role play on that. And I advise you before you make those calls, role play with your administrator, your secretary, or your, your loved one and your wife or another agent. Because if you just jump on the phone and start calling these leads, no matter what script you have before you rehearsed it, role played with it, you're going to go on there and you're going to waste a bunch of leads and a bunch of time. You have to really do some work prior to making those calls. You just have to do it. And the insurance business, we're one of the few professionals, in my opinion, we don't practice before we play the game. We just jump into the game. Most everybody else stretches for jazzercise or they hit a golf ball a couple of times or swing the bat. So we really have to be more prepared. I find biggest problem They get on the phone and just start talking and they cause objections we haven't heard in 35 years because they're not ready. Oh, as some as somebody who's trained salespeople a time or two in my career, I'm you can't see, but I'm I'm smiling. So that's that's learning how to say what you're going to say. One of the other things that you talked about is you have to know when to contact them. Is a lead you hear a lot of this, is a lead fresh for a certain amount of time? Does it go stale after a certain amount of time? David, you're making me laugh. I'm sorry. Uh, my dad had a deli in Chicago for 27 years, and the people used to come in and ask if the co- and a baker was there, and the latchkeys and the apple slices were steaming, and they'd say, "Hey, is that fresh?" I said, "No," and I touched it. The problem is, you know, we we get this in our mindset that there's something about it freshly. I said, "Well, if it's not fresh, then heat it up in a microwave or put it back in the icebox for a while." And it's a mindset again. You make the lead fresh by your approach. Your approach makes a lead that's five years old, brand new. We've worked leads who are six and seven years old that responded that nobody ever contacted. And by using one line just to change the dynamics, we got more appointments than we got when the leads originally came in. That's fascinating. And you know, when people ask me if they're fresh, my answer is no, they're very well mannered, but that's just me. <laughs> so the third thing that you talked about is, is you have to know how you're going to contact them. What is the, I mean, there's so many ways to communicate today. What's the best way to contact somebody? Well, I'm old-fashioned, so I'm probably bad at this, but I watch people try to do the internet contact, try to do the web, try to send out mailers, try to, you know, all kinds of different things. You know, where you're comfortable is probably the best way to do it. If you're comfortable at doing something, it's probably going to work unless it's just so crazy. So I see people today that make phone, I see people that only uh, only do seminars. I see people that in some markets actually go to the door and invite themselves to talk to people because they're working a do not call list because nobody else is calling so there's no competition. It's kind of in your mind, you got to trial and error on what you're most comfortable with, unless it's like I said, far off the, far off the grid. And I've telephone still working today. Did a session the other day, scheduled 320 appointments in four hours with 25 agents calling a list, not a responder. And people are laughing and go, how do you do that? Well, there's a discipline. Part of this whole calling problem, part of this whole prospecting problem is lack of a formal discipline. It's like having a coach, Bill Belichick, staying in a locker room with a megaphone training his team. We have to really get ourselves trained today, and we got to anticipate a different marketplace. I tell everybody else, how well do you know the market that you're actually trying to sell? If you're trying to work with seniors and you don't really study the seniors, you think they're old like me and they walk slow, that's not a very good investigation. 
You have to understand their hot buttons. You have to understand what they're concerned about. Every market's got different things. Married couples are different than seniors, and seniors are different than kids in college where I sold college seniors on a college campus. You have to know your market. And that sounds kind of silly, but you really do. You got to know how they think, how they walk, what their struggles are. And then you start to build your approaches around their key concerns and their strengths and weaknesses in the marketplace. That Were they vulnerable? Where, where, where would they respond? What's their hot buttons? So if you're calling on businesses, is there still the problem of getting past the gatekeeper? And if there is, how do you do that? What's the best way to get past a gatekeeper? Well, I don't know. There's a great technique. I think it's your personality. I think it's your passion. I think it's your sincerity. And again, you're going to find these gatekeepers, man, they can block you out. I have to deal with a lot of company presidents and they've always got the gatekeeper locking me down and he's too busy. He's got appointments all the time. I use a little technique and I call us one for a long time and they said, he's still busy. I said, I know he is, but I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. And I'm going to change my schedule. I've got an opening today at 918 or 926. That's all I got. And a person stops on the phone and says, excuse me? I says, I don't think he's booked at 926. I got one of my biggest accounts doing that. I'm always looking for a way to make a person like a jolt. I'm looking for somebody to say, make him happy. Make, make him get like, what? I've never heard that before. That's a technique. And it really does work. It works with a lot of advisors in the country when they set their appointments. It really does. It affects them because nobody keeps a calendar that way. So that's why it's so off schedule that they respond better to it. I'll leave messages sometimes where I'll call somebody and say, look, Mr. Smith probably doesn't want to talk to me, but let him know it wouldn't make any difference, but I can affect his bottom line about 1% without taking a lot of his time. I will find things that, depending upon the type of person I'm calling, has to have an impact. Hey, the only reason I want to talk to Mr. Smith, Sally, is because I know Mr. Smith could reduce his taxes by 8% and be able to use that money to fund his retirement. He's probably not interested, but tell him he might know somebody else that is. I want short little messages that once she translate back to that, it seems so silly and ridiculous. I don't leave long-winded messages. I don't make long-winded statements. I believe you got about 30 to 35 seconds to get somebody's total attention before they want to hang up or zero out on you. So it's about finding ways to become memorable. That's right. It's right. Make an impression. You know, it, it's interesting. As you're talking about this, I'm going back to when I came into the business, which was 1981. And these are all things that I was taught. And I suppose you could go back even further. There's a great book. You can't get it in print anymore. It's available online called Obvious Atoms. That goes back before both of us. That was published in 1916. But it's all the same techniques. If the universe around us has changed, but the techniques haven't, why don't folks do this? I really think it's they're looking for this golden, you know, five words they can use. And people just automatically sing Goomba, yeah, and give you a big hug and say, yeah, come over. I'll have everybody here. My accountant will be here. They're looking, they're kind of dreaming. It's like people that are five foot eight like me think I can dunk a basketball. You know, it's like they get this in their head that why should this be hard? And I say, anytime you own a business, anytime you're dealing with the public, you have challenges because they don't go to role-playing school. They don't go to training school. They don't go to study insurance school. So when we talk to them, we talk over their head. So I believe we need to be down at that seventh and eighth grade level, just like the advertising and the advertise agencies do. They don't advertise at the college level. They don't advertise at the PhD level. They got to communicate more with the average person's communication. It's not an insult, except terminology in the insurance business scares people. And we start to talk about policies rather than needs and solutions. And if we talk about policies too early, it turns off the public. 
And the agent can't understand because all that agent's training today, I see, at least 90% of it, is strictly on product. It's not on building relationships. It's not on approaching people. It's not understanding how to make good excuses to start a conversation. They spend 80% of their time on product rating, quoting, fancy charts, diagrams. You know, my financial planner, when he comes and Mike, no bar graphs. No colored charts to tell me I lost $40,000. Bottom line, did I make money or lose money? And tell me how you're going to fix it. And people today want to get too fancy. I think they get so much education that they have education overload. People don't want education. They want to know how to implement what you're talking about and how to figure out what it is what you're talking about. Now, I may be crazy about that, but it's insurance is not very complicated. It's very simple. It's very simple. We keep complicating it by putting in more types of plans. It's like the Chevy has two frames, but they might have 12 models because they got Corinthian leather in one and hubcaps on the other. We have gotten this way too complicated in the industry and way too much in our heads. And we're trying to spill it out to them. And all we got to learn how to communicate first. And the danger, I think, in doing that, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, but the danger in doing that is we, we get all the analytic stuff, but we lose the emotional side of the sale, which is really where sales are made. Would you agree with that or disagree with that? Oh, oh, your your, your message to my, no question about it. It's a logic and an emotional situation. I'm a logical guy, some emotion. I believe that logic is much more powerful than almost emotion. I think illogic causes emotional problems, a wrong emotion. If you're logical with me and I listen to you carefully, then logic's going to take us through this because emotion's always there anyway. But it's the wrong emotion if I'm not logical enough because you're not going to do it. So I may be wrong about that, but I really approach everything in a very logical way. Look, uh, this is A, here comes B. Here's step one, here's step two. If you follow that process, which has been around forever, everybody talks about process, and you don't scare people too early, and you don't get too fancy. I say product knowledge, a lot of times it's almost for the agent not to misrepresent the product, and for the underwriter to figure out what you wanted, to, what needs you wanted to solve with what tool. So I... I sit here and I, I, I get in my head all the time. People just make this so complicated today. It scares people because they come in with so much that the person can't absorb 5% of it and they're praying that they understood any of it. And they get turned off by that. And that's a great place to end our conversation today. Don Ranji, president of DMR Marketing, also known far and wide as the lead guru. Don, thanks so much for sharing your expertise with the Shift Shapers audience. David, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved.